the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See What the Game website, and your host for the See What the Game podcast. Welcome to our Potluck podcast. This episode was supposed to be about the new Pac-12 media contracts, but the Pac-12 continues to disappoint. Instead, I'm joined for this podcast by Neil Langland, and we'll touch upon a number of topics. To start, We'll try and make sense from the lack of any announced Pac-12 media contracts, when conference fans can expect some answers, and whether the deal will be sufficient enough to keep the conference together. Up next, the messy divorce between San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference, and how the posturing between the sparring parties will likely play out for the suddenly orphaned Aztecs. Also, name, image, and likeness has been part of collegiate athletics now for two years. How is it working out nationally? What does the future hold for CU, the school which is, quote, not about NIL, but about the NFL, end quote. Preseason magazines can't seem to make up their minds about how the 2023 season will play out for the buffs. Which prognosticators are closest to getting it right. And what should Buff fans make of USC and UCLA as the Trojans and Bruins play out their final season in the Pac-12? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And I'm joined by Neil Langland in downtown Denver, dodging storms, but uh, enjoying life as a general rule. How's how's Neil doing? Well, I've ditched my cars for a rowboat to get around downtown here. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's been a very nice couple of weeks. Not too much going on with football, but uh, the weather in Denver has been unbelievable. Erratic at best. Well, just. You know, if you like hail and tropical torrential rain, this is the place for you. Yeah. Well, we are without Bradford Geiger, who is in Europe as we speak, which must mean I I need to cut his salary in half because apparently he's making way too much money so he can take the whole family to uh, London, Paris, and Amsterdam. But I'm not sure what half of zero actually is. So if we cut his salary in half, what we'll end up with. But we're going to try and go without Brad. We were hoping that Brad's absence would mean that the Pac-12 media deal would finally come to fruition because we've been talking about doing a podcast about the Pac-12 media deal, well, almost a year now. And it still doesn't exist. July 1st came and went without any realignment, without any expansion, and without a media deal. So I guess um, we're just going to talk about a number of different topics, and we can perhaps start with that, Neil. Um, What do you make of June 30th coming and going without a Pac-12 media deal? Well, my theory was that the Pac-12 was waiting for Brad to leave town before it announced. So my theory goes out the window, uh, which is a nice way of saying 
I don't know what in the hell they're doing. And we can construct scenarios, but there's been so little data coming out of there. We could speculate endlessly. And I, I don't know what to tell you, um, Stu, is that hopefully they'll have something by the 27th or the 21st when they get back uh, for the media day. Many others theorize that, you know, they can wait until next spring to do it. There's no big hurry. I yeah, don't have well, a clue. In theory, but, you know, they seem to be only hurting themselves by allowing folks like us to speculate about how bad it could be and allowing folks in the Big 12 to talk about taking some teams from the Pac-12 and adding it to their conference. Um, it's not been a good look. Now, if they come out and have an innovative contract with streaming and ESPN still involved and they're making more money than the Big 12, then all of this will be forgiven and forgotten pretty quickly. But if they don't come up with the magic 31.6 or 31.7 million per team per year in the media contract, then they're going to be subject to a whole bunch of criticism. So it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of strategy going on. I mean, George Kalyavkov, as far as we know, he might be hanging out with Brad in Amsterdam, but we haven't heard anything from him. We have heard a few things from the presidents along the way and a few athletic directors making speculation that the Pac-12 is fine and in good shape, but nothing to back it up. So would your bet be that it's going to be a bad deal, that people are just wondering why you know it never happened, it couldn't be any better, and that's why it took so long, or it's going to be a good deal and we're going to be speculating and wondering why they didn't at least give us some tastes as to what was coming along the way so we wouldn't have to stress about this for the last four months or the last six months that we've been stressing about it. Well, when the grant of rights discussion was had about a month ago that the presidents had agreed that they were going to do the assignment of rights, I thought that that was a signal that something was actually going to happen and fairly soon and that they had the basic structure of the deal done and rough numbers, and they were just waiting to finalize stuff. Uh, and that included what to do about San Diego State and or SMU. Well, there's no announcement. San Diego State said it was leaving the conference, uh, Mountain West, and then it said, well, no, we didn't really mean, mean it. We were just kind of wondering whether, you know, it might be okay to talk about leaving and maybe a reduced fee, and that petered out, and now they're back hat in hand uh, in front of the Mountain West governors asking to come back. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were trying to force somebody's hand. Maybe there was a deal, actually, that was about to go through, and then it fell through at the last minute. I mean, we could go on and on, Stu. I this is confounding to me. This is adult behavior that I simply don't understand. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about San Diego State and to a lesser extent, I guess, SMU, that it's well known. Obviously, it's been talked about and we've talked about it on the podcast that the San Diego State wanted to avoid paying a, basically a $17 million penalty. They had to announce that they were going to leave by June 30th. They sent a letter that I think a fair reading would be, we are leaving because, well, that's pretty much what the letter said. And then the Mountain West said, okay, well, you owe $17 million and we're going to keep the $6.6 .6 million that you would have received as a payout and uh, have a nice life. And there's been letters going back and forth since then where San Diego State, as you mentioned, kind of says, well, we really didn't say we were leaving we were just kind of talking about perhaps leaving and perhaps looking for an extension and the mountain west is at least to this point taking the position it's like well actually you're you're gone you're off the you know, you know your president's not welcome at our little meetings anymore and we're going to withhold 6.6 .6, and you got to figure out how to pay us the other 11 that you uh, owe us for leaving the mountain west conference it doesn't seem likely 
that come 2024, San Diego State's going to be an independent. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. I mean, just from a practical standpoint is how are they going to put together a schedule on such short notice? I mean, that's going to be nearly impossible for them. So they took a big gamble. Maybe they know something we don't, but they're going to need a conference somewhere. Yeah. Do you think what's the the Mountain West long term? Do you think they're just trying to negate any sort of mitigation on the $34 million now that San Diego State would owe to leave July 1 of 2024? Or they're just saying, maybe thinking, well, you know that the NCAA tournament, you know, we're talking smaller do- dollars, obviously, with basketball. But men's basketball is certainly second on the list of moneymakers for collegiate athletic departments. And the further you go in the NCAA tournament, you get units from the NCAA and the payout, and those are paid out over six years. And of course, San Diego State went to the national championship last year, so they earned six units on behalf of the Mountain West Conference. And that's going to be, I saw one estimated about $10 million paid out over the next six years. Do you think that maybe the Mountain West is just thinking, well, we kind of got you between, between a rock and a hard place, so we... Uh, we're just going to keep all that money and you have to walk away from the NCAA money that you earned uh, by going to the NCAA championship last year. Well, that's a great question for a lawyer. I assume that they're going to be involved here to see if they can break some of those contracts and San Diego state is going to want that money to follow it. If it goes to another conference or if it stays independent. So there's going to be litigation, I would assume, right. About that. Or at least negotiations on that. But, you know, again, the Mountain West could be shooting itself in the foot, too, because San Diego State was going to be, in all likelihood, on television a lot this upcoming, you know, year and two and stuff like that with the success that it had on the court. Last year, they had 18 um, games that were either CBS or Fox, who's Mountain West's affiliates, and all 18 of their San Diego State games were shown on either CBS affiliates or Fox affiliates. Next was Boise State, who had 12. And then you go down to San Jose State, who had six. So, you know, when Fox or CBS had the chance to show a Mountain West game and fulfill their contractual obligations to show Mountain West games, they were showing San Diego State. And if Mountain West wants to you know, really force San Diego State's hand and make them leave, they're walking away from a bunch of dollars. And CBS might say, well, let's renegotiate our contract because you're not giving us the same product that you promised us, and they'll end up losing money in the deal. They're, they're playing showdown. You know, it's it's high noon on the main street of town, and they've got their guns pointed at themselves. Um, the incentives here just seem totally whacked out. I have to think that San Diego State has some sort of idea. I think I'm going to put a little trust in their leadership that they have something going on that we don't know about yet. And it's going to transpire either with the Pac-12 or the Big 12. And maybe San Diego State is being smart and playing the two conferences off against one another. We will learn a lot hopefully in the very near future. But yeah, it doesn't make sense for San Diego State to send the letter if they didn't think that this was a likelihood. It doesn't make sense for the Washington State president, the Arizona president, Arizona State president to go around talking about how unified the conference is and how we're going to do much better than the Big 12 in our payday if they didn't have some idea of what was coming. We're just going to have to have faith that it's all going to work out for the Pac-12 because, well... Colorado is still a member of the Pac-12. There was no bolting on June 30th to the the Big 12. That didn't seem like it was going to be a real likelihood. But are you relieved that uh, Colorado is uh, still a member of the Pac-10 slash 12? I am. And I have kind of a question around that. But let me say first that I stayed up until midnight 
Pacific time on June 30th, just to see if there was going to be some last minute announcement. And there wasn't anything. I was really upset about that. <laughs> now, to your, the other, other question about Colorado being happy, I think they would love to stay in the pack, whatever. So here's the question I'd like that I've been speculating about, maybe you could help, which is, do you think that the PAC-12 has decided on a number of schools, 10, 12, 14, whatever? Is your feeling that they're gonna go ahead with 10, at least for the short term, and then maybe add someone down the road pursuant to a contingency provision in the media contracts? Uh, the short answer I think would be yes. I think that's going to be part of their deal. We heard that the Big 12 contracts allowed for expansion. Any, any team that would be brought in, there wouldn't be a dilution of the payout. That whatever team came in would also get $31.6 million, $31.7 million, that ESPN and Fox would just add to their contracts for whatever the Big 12 brought in. I can't imagine that the Pac-10 wouldn't have the similar sort of agreement with whoever they do their their deals with that it's not going to be if there is an expansion over the term of the contract that the payout will not remain the same for the existing schools. Now, they might also be thinking that if they invite a San Diego State or an SMU that what they're receiving as members of the respective conference, so again, San Diego State as an example, is going to get $6.6 .6 million as opposed to 24, 25, whatever millions the Pac-12 was receiving. Maybe they are already agreeing in advance to take a smaller share for a duration of the contract which would then help supplement the money that the other schools in the conference are going to receive. So the, the long answer to your short question is, I would think that there's going to be a provision in there that if there is expansion to 11 or 12 teams, that it's not going to come as a dilution of dollars to schools like Colorado. I can't imagine the existing schools wanting to go for anything that would cause them to lose dollars if they expanded. That kind of dovetails with the way I thought about it, which is that the media partners are not going to pay 31.7 extra for San Diego State and then an additional 31.7 extra for SMU. It's going to be less than that. So I think anywhere that's going to be above the 6.6 .6 that those schools are getting from their existing contracts. That's fine. That makes a lot of sense for the PAC-10 to become the PAC-11 or 12 again, to do it that way. And hopefully over time, they could build the brand of the conference and gradually raise the payout that those members get. And in fact, that's what happened when Utah joined right. from a member conference. So maybe they do that again. Again, here it's frustrating. We have no data. So all we're doing is we're kind of throwing stuff on the wall, but that seems to make a little bit of sense, you know, and it has some historic precedent. Yeah. And yeah, San Diego State, if you're getting 6.6 .6 million, why wouldn't you be happy with 15 million? You know, that type yeah. of thing, at least to, to start yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, since this is a potluck episode, let's move on to some other topics. July 1st was the two-year anniversary of the allowance of name, image, and likeness. And it wasn't any legislation. It was the NCAA, I believe their rules were a paragraph long, like something like six sentences, basically saying, whatever your state laws are, as long as you're in compliance, then you're good to go. So the NCAA completely abdicated responsibility for NIL. Where are we? Two years later, do you think it's turned out the way it was supposed to turn out? Do you think it's completely out of hand? Or do you think it's been a, a net positive for student-athletes and a net positive for college sports? Gee, in parts. Let's go back to the Supreme Court decision 
authored by Justice Kavanaugh. And I think he is probably falling on the market side of how the economy should allocate its resources and envision some sort of free market arrangement for college football, where players would be able to be paid somehow without restriction. They would be able to make money uh, on their own without restriction. And that collectives could organize themselves and come what may. Kind of a Wild West scenario, you know, in the, the negative casting of it. And for the first year, year and a half, it was just that, you know, the Texas A&M fiasco, all the money that was purportedly offered to a new CU player of a million and a half. I mean, that seems to me to be just crazy stuff. And you had a nice feature on the website about six weeks ago about the various proposals draft legislation being offered by various members of the Senate and U.S. House of Representatives. And they range from a Kavanaugh-ish wide open approach to a more restrictive approach uh, that was presented by, say, for example, the Senator from New Jersey, the former Stanford Safety. But there's a full range that would be from wide open to quite restrictive. And as far as I can tell, and I haven't been following the congressional record every day, those aren't going anywhere right now. So I assume it's gonna be the same wide open, anything you want sort of deal. And the problematic portion of that is simply that it's wet when it's left to individual states, uh, some states will be very free like many of the SEC states are. Other states will be more restrictive like Colorado, for example. So there's going to continue to be this disparity in what collectives can and cannot do among the various states, which will then inure to advantages to certain conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten. And it's going to continue to be that way for the foreseeable future. So being a gray day here in Denver, I'm going to go pessimistic and say until there is some sort of uniformity either enacted by the NCAA, if indeed it has that authority, or from Congress at the federal level, it's going to continue to be as wild as it has been. Yeah. That was long season, sorry. No, that no, that's fine. It doesn't sound like like you mentioned that it's really likely much is going to come out of of Congress despite Folks like Nick Saban and the SEC commissioner going to Capitol Hill to supposedly lobby for some congressional action. It doesn't seem likely that anything's going to come out of that. The NCAA did raise up a little bit of dust by saying that, you know, collectives were not supposed to be associated with the universities and you could be punished by the NCAA if they basically had them run by boosters and they were affiliated with the university. And to your point, a lot of the players came in and said, yeah, tough. We have state law that allows us to do this. Uh, I remember somebody from Texas A&M basically say, we're obeying Texas state law and basically daring the NCAA to try and enforce something. So if the Congress isn't going to do it and the NCAA has any teeth to do it, are we left with what we're left with? That uh, the haves are going to get, uh, you know, more having and the have-nots are going to be sliding further and further behind? Uh, short answer is yes. And I think something that exacerbates that is that the have-nots, and I think there was a Colorado collective, I remember being addressed during um, a pregame broadcast uh, of CU football with Coach Barnett, where he was describing a collective that was just starting out and that their initial casting was as a 501c3 tax. Right. Free. And I think that there was something that came along, maybe a, Supreme, a court decision that no, 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 no. It just cannot be a tax deductible thing. It wasn't a... An opinion it was just a, it was a one of those IRS opinion letters. Ah. 
So, you know, really, I don't think it's been litigated or anybody's been penalized, but I think the IRS has kind of said, yeah, this is not, you know, buying this kid a car, you know, so he does a couple of ads for you does not constitute a charitable contribution. <laughs> well, it's worth a try, right? Yeah, but yeah, who knew? But yeah, it's just amazing to think that, you know, you hear about uh, Ohio State quarterback just got a car. And you hear about, you know, these Elite 11 and, you know, different types of camps and things like that, that the high school players have agents that are out there, you know, marketing themselves and marketing their their players. And if that had happened two years ago, three years ago, the athlete might have been declared ineligible. And now it's just accepted fact. I and mean, that's just the way the world works. I want to give you that one quote. I don't know if you saw it with regards to facilities versus NIL. And I know you sent me an email about the CU facilities and the lack thereof, especially on the West side. But Mike Loxley, the head coach at, at Maryland, they just put in a hundred and some million dollar improvements to the facilities. But his quote was that, they don't care about facilities anymore. And the the line that's gone around is the players referring to the players coming in, they get dressed in a trash can for $25,000. <laughs> so the idea that, you know, instead of spending millions and millions of dollars of booster money upgrading facilities, they should have spent millions and millions of dollars of booster money buying players. Is that the future? Is... Now, contrast that to, of course, Coach Prime, bringing it back to our good old University of Colorado, who said, we're not about the NIL, we're about the NFL. And basically, yes, we're going to do some things to make sure players don't go hungry, but it is not going to be our focus to you know, provide NIL contracts. And if you don't like it, then you can go somewhere else. And you get the Travis Hunter you're talking about that reportedly, according to Coach Prime, got offered $1.5 million to go somewhere else, but he's stuck with Coach Prime. Is he going to be able to, is Colorado going to be able to compete in a world where the NIL, the collective, the money in the boosters is not going to be anywhere close to what our competitors are being able to pay out? Well, our NIL stuff, we have always lamented how slowly it was progressing and how long it took to get something off the ground. And we're still waiting, I think, for a major NIL organization to emerge on behalf of the CU Buffs. So I think the short answer to your question, at least at this point in projecting out six to 12 months is no, we're not going to be able to keep pace with that. And the only counterpoint uh, that I have, and I would suggest as a rebuttal to Coach Loxley that you mentioned is an article today uh, that I read today in Sports Illustrated about the University of Nebraska and their uh, the evolution of their weight training program. And the way it's described now, it is unbelievable. The technology that is going into player care, player development, and the money that it costs to do that. So I would say the schools in the, in the big and the SEC have money to do both. Right. They're going to be able to do player development and still continue competing with facilities, but they're also going to be able to do all the player development, science, technology, and care that money can buy. And I think CU is probably going to have to choose one track and it's going to have to stay on the player development track, uh, which feeds into Coach Prime's NFL thing, is that we're going to bring you here. We're going to develop you to the fullest extent possible. And we're going to have to be happy with that because we just don't have anywhere on the horizon, no sugar daddy that I can see on the radar that's going to come in and rescue our NIL program. Yeah, I remember I did the... Um interviews last spring and you know at the time there was not much going on it's been about a year since the 
you know, the buffs for life has kind of kicked in and really don't get much feedback as to what their balance is of their checkbook or what they're doing. There's a few things here and there in terms of fundraisers. There's a few things here and there about helping players, but yeah, it's certainly not going to be on the scale of what you're getting in other places. And to your point about facilities, I remember the, the interview I did with uh, Tommy Brown. He was the uh, offensive lineman that transferred in from Alabama. And I asked him, you know, well, how to see facilities compare to what you were used to at Alabama? And I guess two things stand out. One thing he, he liked about CU better was that all the players, all the student-athletes ate together. They were in the same cafeteria so they could intermingle Whereas in Alabama, the football team had its own floor and everybody else was in a cafeteria on another floor and they just didn't interact. But he did say that some of the machinery with, with the weightlifting and the treadmill kind of things, that there was a lot more diagnostic. You could tell how you were doing, how that compared to what you did yesterday, how you were doing compared to other players on the team. You know, you had instant feedback. There was so much technology involved in the weight room. And I think to your point, what you're doing in Nebraska, but, you know, we go back to the days with Nebraska that that was the recruiting pitch then was the weight room in Nebraska was like an acre. And, you know, that's why they got all the beefy offensive linemen was because their weight room was so superior to everyone else in the big eight conference. So in that sense, there's really nothing new under the sun that the haves, if they, you know, have more money, they're going to find ways to spend it. If they could spend it on head coaches, they'll spend it on head coaches. If they could spend it on facilities, assistant coaches, now play it, you know, spend it on players. That money talks, and that's going to be, that's the way it's been in college football and the way it's going to be in college football. So, you know, I think for the NFL, excuse me, for the NIL at CU to really be helpful, it's going to require significant participation by certain alumni that have businesses that can assist with post-graduation placement. You know, like you hear of, of Stanford and of Harvard and these big name schools that are able to plug their ex-players into this network and get them good jobs. That's probably about the best that we can do right now. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that we're actually doing. Well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the University of Colorado more specifically, because, you know, we would talk about college football in general, but the buffs, the preseason magazines seem to be all over the place. You've got CU as the seventh favorite of the Pac-12 to win the national championship at 250 to one with a lot of money being bet on CU to actually win the national championship. Yet Vegas also has CU at an over-under of 3.5 wins, which is not compatible with having five teams or below CU in the, in the Pac-12 pecking order in terms of chances to win titles and things like that. Athlon, you know, really loves the Pac-12 as six Pac-12 ranked teams which is pretty consistent. I think almost every preseason magazine has six ranked Pac-12 teams, and a lot of them have TCU as a ranked team. CU doesn't have to play Washington this year, but that's six games against ranked teams. What is your, a month away from the start of fall camp, feeling about how the preseason magazines are treating the University of Colorado? Is there some real positive stuff about Coach Prime, and then there's some, like, real negative stuff about the program. Well, let's see. It's kind of a black box and I'm going to try a Vulcan mind meld, you know, with the, with Folsom field, just go up there and kind of feel, cause it's seen all the practices and it's seen everybody. So it has some data on what's going on. And I'll say, one thing, and this is a shout to Rob O and the work that he did with all the recruiting stuff is we're better off this, uh, right now with respect to talent than we have been in years. 
What I don't know, and what we're not going to know for a while, is whether we are, we were at the bottom of the Pac-12 in terms of talent. How high have we risen with respect to overall roster talent? Are we still in the lower half? Are we kind of right in the middle? Or have we stuck our nose up over the wall and we're in the top six? I don't know. We are especially strong in certain groups, wide receiver, defensive backs, quarterback, assuming we can find a backup, that those can really help push a team that may be a little bit suspect in the lines. But I have to say that maybe the, the way to look at it is this. Economists have data, but they also have unknowns. So what economists do when they're doing a forecast is they come up with a baseline. And then they have a high and a low. And so I'm going to say the low for CU in terms of wins is two. It's worst case is that the talent doesn't come together. We have injuries and so on. I'm going to say that the default right in the middle, the baseline is five. And I'm going to say the high, the ceiling for us is probably seven. And that's just based upon what I assess to be the increased level of talent, the experience of the coaching staff. So. I'm going to be somewhat optimistic here for a change and try to go that way. I think, does that answer your question? Yeah. And I, I would tend to agree. I think the, you know, the unknowns that CU is facing with a brand new roster and whether or not I can make it, whether or not I can make it against this type of a schedule and things like that, where if you looked and you apply that same economics to last year's team, you would have said, well, the low would have been, maybe two wins and the high would have been five wins. I think when we did our picks last year during fall camp, we all ended up with like a five and seven record is the best case scenario, hoping to find a, you know, a weird upset somewhere that would get suitable eligibility. Now, as it turned out, that turned out to be wildly optimistic for the one and 11 team that was not as good as that, but at least the range from terrible to, best case scenario was not as wide as what we're dealing with with the University of Colorado in 2023 that, you know, I just really, really would like to remember back at the national championship game when they were talking about, see, you had Coach Prime on there with Nick Saban and stuff like that. And they were saying, well, you got TCU to start the season. And Coach Prime said, well, maybe not. You know, maybe Arizona State, you know, they were trying to get some other game, some other opponent, maybe a week zero game that would allow CU to actually play a game where they were on a level playing field to start the season rather than go on the road against the team that played in the national championship, you know, the year before. So, yeah, it is uh, wildly unknown as to what's going to become. And I don't think the preseason magazines have a clue as to what to do and Phil Steele, you know, just absolutely hates Colorado because he's all about statistics and returning starters and, you know, blah, blah, blah of this from this year and that year. And basically CU has no returning offensive production, you know, 131st in the country. Well, yeah, because all the guys that were on the team last year aren't there anymore, that type of thing. So, that's think, a fair criticism, I think, of Phil Steele, in that all of his data is, is historical. And in econometrics, all the data is from the past. And to make a projection just from that, without any sort of assumptions for non-baseline forecast, is in econometrics, the saying is, if everything stays the same, it's going to be the same. Well, the fault is, everything has not is not the same. Everything has changed dramatically here in terms of talent, coaching, and enthusiasm in Boulder. So there's a good basis for me to say Phil Steele is out to lunch, and you kind of have to extrapolate based upon what are sensible changes at CDU. Yeah. I mean, if you're basing Colorado's returning production on Anthony Hankerson and how many yards he had rushing and the eight catches that their three sophomore wide receiver or tight ends had is all 10 of the wide receivers are gone. And 
the quarterbacks are all gone and most of the running backs are gone except for Hankerson. So in terms of returning production, there isn't. And of course, there was, there was no production from that team anyway. What is your feeling about UCLA and USC in their lame duck year that I was mentioning Athlon has um, six Pac-12 teams uh, ranked in its preseason top 25. And of course, that includes Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, and Utah. Compare that to the Big Ten, which has all the money, has four teams. Now, the SEC has nine, <laughs> but the Big 12 has three and the ACC has two. So the Pac-12, if you're looking at potential college football playoff entries and things like that, seems to be pretty well positioned. What do you think the, the world would think and what would you think of USC being in the college football playoff? Would that be a boon for the Pac-12 or would that just be another way of condemning the Pac-12 for losing USC to the Big Ten? Well, it's kind of like I'll go back to grade school and having to take really icky cough medicine <laughs> in that I would hold my nose and say, okay, USC, do your, do your best because we want the money you're going to bring to us because it's going to be ours. But other than that, I'd like to see them ground into dust. Same way with you, with UCLA. Yeah. And whatever they do this year is not going to help us in 24. So if we can get some money out of it, fine. And then just bid them a fond farewell. Well, I've been, it's been interesting with recruiting, watching recruiting and some of the players that have been making their commitments. There's a high really regarded, uh, I think it was a running back, maybe it was a defensive back, that came down to USC versus Oregon. And I actually cheered the fact that he chose USC. Now, normally I wouldn't cheer for either one of them or care about it at all. But if it's going to be a player that's going to be a star, I'd rather have him beating up on Nebraska than beating up on Colorado. So, you know, it's like, good. USC have the number one recruiting class in the country because we aren't going to play that team. So, you know, go ye forth, do what you want. But, yeah, certainly this year, and it's really kind of sad that we have to play USC so early that if this team has any issues in terms of coming together and stuff like that, we'd much rather play USC at home in November and have a chance to beat them for the first time in school history. But playing them in September, maybe not so much, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, it's going to be hard to watch USC and UCLA, and we'll see what happens. You know, USC versus Nebraska next year. I think maybe only UCLA is playing Nebraska next year. But it be interesting to see those teams play them as conference games. And then, you know, who do you root for? Or I guess who do you root against? You know, kind of thing. The choice, so many good choices there. You know, I, I I have read, as you probably have, as the sophisticated see you at the game readers have read, so many scenarios as to how disruptive that move will be for all UCLA and USC sports teams, not just football, but their basketball teams. Everyone else is going to be on the road so much. It's going to cost so much the toll on the athletes themselves in terms of the physical pounding that they're going to take. Well, I have to think overall it's a bad move for them. And I understand UCLA needs the money. You know, they're shaking the couch, but I don't know. I just, I hope they do well this year just for the money. And then I hope they get hammered in the big. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, especially UCLA, I think that, It'd be easier to see them sliding into real mediocrity there, that they'd be competing for the sixth, seventh, or eighth bowl bid out of the Big Ten pretty easily. So um, it makes no sense in regard to the new college football playoff scenario. It's got to be a lot easier to make the playoff out of the back 12 yeah. than it is out of the big. I mean, you could almost pencil in Oregon and USC and Washington, two of those three, just about every year. Right. And 
No. So, yeah. And of course, the Pac-12 media deal, when it actually happens, will probably only be like a five-year contract because they're not going to want to have a long-term contract, you know, when the the Big Ten's contract comes up and the SEC, you know, bid contract, they want to have their ducks in a row and not be tied down like the ACC is on their long-term contract. So even if we get a media deal, it's not going to be a long-term thing. And CU is going to have to do its best, try and position itself for the next round of realignment. If it's not coming in 2024, then it's certainly going to come in 2029 or 2030 when the next set of media contracts come out. But speaking of teams that are moving on and really not related to CU, but it is a new year of 14 teams. I mean, if you gave me the over-under on how many teams started and starting a new conferences this year, I would definitely bet the under, but there's 14 teams, a lot of teams moving up within the G5 and stuff like that are moving around in the G5. But I just want to get your take on whether you actually have a rooting interest or just how you see the Big 12 new teams. You know, now that it doesn't look like CU is going to be one of those new teams next year or the year after. But you got four new additions to the Big 12. BYU went eight and five last year. Central Florida went nine and five last year. Cincinnati went nine and four last year. Houston went eight and five last year. So, of course, BYU is an independent. The other three are coming from the American Athletic Conference, but all of them had at least eight wins. Yet, if you look at the preseason magazines, they're all picked to finish in the bottom of the Big 12. So do you have a rooting interest or do you have any sort of analytical interest as to which of the four new Big 12 teams is likely to prosper in 2023 and beyond? Well, I think we'll split it into pre-departure and post-departure for Texas and Oklahoma. I think it's reasonable for the first time for those teams playing a Power 5 schedule uh, eight conference games against other Power Five teams, they're going to wear down probably, and their win totals are going to fall, with the possible exception this year of BYU, which tends to have some older players, a little more mature physically, and perhaps better able to stand up to it. Post departure, I think BYU is going to be in a great position to dominate that conference. TCU is going to be their biggest rival so far, but both private schools with lots of money. Big recruiting bases. Um, I think BYU is in a place to really excel there. Okay. Well, we'll see how it uh, how it plays. I was kind of surprised when I was looking at that. First, I was surprised to see how well all four of them had done last year, and I was also surprised in the preseason magazines how poorly they were expected to do in their first season as members of the Big Twelve. But we'll let them play it out. We know that Colorado is going to be a member of the Pac twelve for at least the last season of the USC-UCLA era. And we are going to start the next two podcasts. We're going to be looking at the 21st of July, that Friday. Of course, if you've been listening to podcasts, you've been doing it every two weeks. Once we get into the regular season, we'll be doing it every week. But every two weeks, so on July 21st, the drop, We will drop the podcast, which will be the preview for the fall camp with regards to the offensive side of the ball. And then two weeks later, which I believe is the 4th of August, will be right after fall camp gets underway, we'll be talking about the defense. And then the two weeks after that, we'll do our preseason predictions and then wait for it. Right after that, we're going to get into our weekly reviews and previews and get ready for TCU and then Nebraska and then CSU and we'll take it from there. So this was going to be our big media contracts podcast, but thanks to the Pac-12, no realignment, no expansion, no media contracts to talk about. So hope you've enjoyed the hot luck kind of uh, wide ranging discussion that we've had. And thank you, Neil, for taking the time to be here and we'll make Brad, work extra hard at the next one. Okay. Can I have his dessert on this one? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's, I was going to say he might be having, I mean, what dessert would he have in Amsterdam? I don't know. We don't even want to speculate into what he's. Let's leave that one alone.
<laughs> he's with his wife and two kids, so we're hoping that he's being a good boy in Amsterdam. The Facebook pictures seem to uh, indicate, and he actually sent me an email this morning. He ran into uh, a CU fan in Amsterdam, and he was wearing his CU at the game hat. And <laughs> so they, and it turns out he's it was an assistant tennis coach who was there for a tournament. Um, looking at potential prospects. So your CU dollars at work recruiting in Amsterdam for tennis players. So hope Brad is enjoying his trip and we'll we'll make him we'll put him to work in a couple of weeks. We talk about the CU offense. So until then, thank you, sir. We will talk to you soon. Take care, Stu. Brad, I hope you're having a good vacation, pal. Enjoy. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation, which has become the talk of the nation. I hope you are subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We are partners with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites, including Mile High Sports website. Of course, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I'll be back in two weeks with Neil and Brad, and we'll finally be talking about real football with the next two podcasts devoted to discussing anticipated fall camp position battles. Until then, be well. Stay safe and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.